We start this morning with the Australian cricket coach, Andrew McDonald, who is in the studio. It'll be planning for the summer ahead that encroaches on the glow of what has been achieved in the odyssey of 2023 offshore. It'll be highlighted forever by a World Cup triumph littered with iconic moments. And again, Glenn Maxwell goes to 100, a second World Cup ton for Glenn Maxwell, his third in ODIs, and on the same ground and the same pitch as Aidan Markram set the record not long ago, Maxwell has obliterated it. On one leg, can Lockie smack it out of the park? Last ball of the game, here's Mitchell Stark. Lockie hits, can't get it through, Australia win. Australia won a magnificent game of cricket. And Maxwell hits it high! Can it make it? It does make it! Glenn Maxwell! Unbelievable! The most remarkable thing you'll probably ever see in cricket. Staggering! Absolutely mind-blowing! Two to win, Cummins with a short ball, guides it away, three points to the boundary. The captain with the winning runs. A nervy chase for Australia, successfully navigated, and off to another World Cup final. Axel Bowles, Comes Sharma again. goes again, this is in the air, this could be caught, going back, oh yes, my wonderful catch! Travis Head going back with the flight, diving at full stretch, has taken one of the great World yeah. Cup final catches. Cool deep bowls too, he plays from the stumps, he goes for the single, it's risky, here's the throw, he would have been out, instead it's a hundred. Oh, it's full of drama. Travis Heads with a World Cup final century. Siraj bowls to him, Maxwell clobbers a ball out to square leg, a dive on the boundary to save it. They'll come back for a second and Australia has won the World Cup. A sixth championship victory and surely none greater than this in the most partisan, intimidating environment that this tournament has ever seen. Australia has quashed all of India in one night. Homegrown heroes for Red Energy. Red Energy owned by Snowy Hydro, a renewable energy leader. A campaign that had so many touchstone moments, and that's probably not all of them either. The coach who masterminded it all is in the studio. He came in before they set off on that odyssey. God, it seems like months ago. Andrew McDonald, congratulations and welcome back. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for having us back. How rich is the sense of accomplishment? Yeah, it's big. I suppose it's it's taking some time to sink in, even just listening back to those moments. It's, yeah, something that you, you set out to achieve and then when you achieve it and you reflect upon it, um, yeah, some great stories, some great moments and, yeah, hopefully inspiring that next generation like we were before and um, I think this group, I, I think they can say that on, on the back of what they've been able to achieve in the last six months. Is it possible to distill down to one or two things in your mind as to how it was done, or is it a broad conversation? Oh, it's broad, and it really takes me back to the top end series against Zimbabwe and New Zealand, where um, a lot of the sort of planning into what the side might look like, um, what it would look like without key players if they were to be injured on the back of a you know huge um, test demand, which was India away and and then into an Ashes. So you had all these decisions that you're making a long way out, sort of just mitigating against. Um, you know, potentially injury, potential injuries or, or form losses. So, yeah, it just felt like on this tour in particular, there was a decision every day for myself and Tony Dodder made in, um, a, along with Mitch Marshall was captain in South Africa. And then obviously once we got to India, George Bailey joined and 
Um, Pat Cummins actually come across to South Africa for the last couple of games. I think that was really important um, as a captain to be on the ground to see how the team was functioning and allowed us to to put those final pieces of planning in place. But um, yeah, geez, it felt like there was a decision every day to be made. So there's a sense of timing in these things. Could you feel it coming together when it mattered? Yeah, you you always believe that your you know, your best laid plan will come to fruition. Um, you need the right personnel for that to happen. There's no doubt about that. And one of the gambles that we took leading in was obviously the Travis Head decision. Um, he broke his hand. Kyle Kutzia, I think it was at uh, Centurion. And I think at that moment, Travis thought that his World Cup campaign may have ended. Um, you know, and it took us a little bit of time to to piece that together. Would we take him uh, on the journey with us? And yeah, he was a huge part of the way that we wanted to play, in particular the top three um, batters. And we saw that, that there's no doubt that the side shifted once he arrived in India. So it was a, a gamble that, um, yeah, he repaid massively um, and it was a big part of it. Yeah, so there's a lot of pieces that you have moving in. I think the Rajkot game um, in the third one day, I'm not sure many will be able to remember it. It's probably one of those forgotten games. But to us, it was when most of our key personnel were there. Um, Glenn Maxwell would come back into the side. Mitchell Stark would come back into the side. Um, Pat got a look at a, a team that he was going to lead in the, in the first game of the World Cup. So um, that looked really good. We won that game and we felt like, yeah, we're a chance coming together here. What did you think at 0-2? and two? And I particularly to the fielding in the South African game, if the fielding is a window into the soul, that was separate to the panic that goes on when you start a tournament 0-2 with the public, is that was the moment you're going, what, what is going on? Yeah. Well, what was your view at that stage? Uh, the view from the inside was that we played against two really good opponents that were probably better placed at that point in time in the tournament. Um, and there's no doubt that when you don't get the result, you go your way, people will pick out the finer points. And I think people highlighted the fielding as, as one of those areas, but there was a lot of other areas that contributed to, to us not winning those two games. And we had a little bit of a look at that game against India where Mitch Marsh dropped the catch off Josh Hazelwood and that could have been four for 20 and it could have been a totally different tournament for India and a totally different t- tournament for us or an early tournament for us in particular. So, um, yeah, people will hang on to key little moments um, and identify them as that's the reason why we lost. But collectively as a group with the bat, ball and in the field, uh, we weren't up to the standard of India and South Africa at that point in time and we were able to grow, um, build the team, as I said, key personnel coming back together and, um, you know, the identity of the team, we wanted to be flexible. I think that the final really showed how flexible we were and the way that Pat led and threw different looks at India. And I think that, you know, he, he purely controlled the, the game as a captain, which is, is very rare in a one-day international yeah. game. So that, that come together really nicely. Was there any particular meeting at 0-2 or any particular dictum that held? There, there was a get-together um, post-game. Um, but once again, that, that's really just to reinforce that we're on the right path and let's stick stick to it and believe in what we've set out to achieve will come um, to a fruition eventually, um, albeit it didn't in the first couple of games. So it was really doubling down. I think we've had moments like that when we were 0-2 and two in India in the Test Series as well and you bring the group together and it's really just reiterating what you set out in the first place. Um, if you start to pivot at that point in time, I think that can create panic within a group and it also means that potentially your planning has been well off and you know, 0-2 and two in a nine-match round uh, World Cup, you know, round games of in, in a World Cup, it's it's not the time to start, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It was just a time to say, okay, let's let's get moving. We come up against Sri Lanka, and I thought the bravery in the moment where Pat Cummins bowled back to back bounces to Nasanka, um, and the second bouncer saw the downfall of Nasanka to a you know great running catch from from Davy Warner, and I think it was none for 120 or something like that at that point in time, and. No doubt people sitting back here probably thought that was the end of our World Cup and then were able to turn it. 
Paddy's bravery, some fielding execution, um, an easy run chase, and you know away we went from there and didn't really look back. Well, we did. There was times where we got stressed as well after that, but um, no, it was an incredible run, incredible streak, um, and we got going at the right time. I feel like the folklore is going to exist around the final. What happens in the lead up to it? At the bold decision to bowl first, which sort of ignores the conventions of finals and also gave India what they wanted. So there's a couple of stories that are kicking around. What what was the analytics discussion like? Was it a, a presentation to you and Pat? Was it something you sought out? And then did you present it to the whole team? Uh, oh, there's lots of layers to it. So the usual run of events is we have a strategy meeting with our, our captain and vice captain, which is Pat Cummins. Um, and, and Mitch Marsh, along with the analytics team, led by Tom Bodie, plus the coaches and the chairman of selectors is also in there. So that was our initial meeting. Um, that was set out to establish how we wanted to play the final. Um, and because of the short turnaround, we didn't have the time to settle the team at that point. Um, we then had to go to training. We had an afternoon training session, uh, come back for our team meeting. So nothing was decided by the time we got together as, as a team, which I think it was about 630 um, we then went down to the ground post the team meeting just to get the final bits of information around what it might look like in terms of the dew, what the conditions are like, have a look at the wicket for a final time. So there was a lot of sort of pieces that were moving late. And I think Marnus may have um, elaborated on that and the fact that he didn't know he was playing until about 10. I think George recorrected that. I think it was about 9.30. So he it <laughs> us by about half an hour. But yeah, just due to this short turnaround, um, yeah, things were moving late. And then once we got back from the ground, we're clear on the team. We communicated that. And then it, the last piece was really just providing options for Paddy at the toss. Um, it was always going to be a discussion point. Um, called Tom Bodie into, into the coach's room. And, yeah, we just had, I think it was an hour, an hour and a half, just hypothesizing around what the, the black soil wicket at Manabad would look like versus the red soil in other areas. And we probably drilled it back to the Chennai game, um, first game. Um, it's a black soil wicket at Chennai. And we felt like that might be the closest um, to what we're about to encounter there was some good information around chasing runs at that venue also. Uh, but the Chennai game, after we had that opportunity Mitch Marsh um, put down off Josh Hazelwood, we felt a little bit helpless and we didn't feel as though we could impact um, at night with the ball. Um, yeah, so yeah, we presented that information to Paddy and Paddy's ultimately the one that goes out there and makes the decision. And he was, people say, courageous enough to bowl, but a lot of the information that you know, was getting tabled and the, the path that we wanted to go down to play to our strengths uh, led us to, to that decision, but but full credit to Paddy because if it goes the other way, um, he's the one that wears it, and probably we do we do as a collective as well. So um, it worked out well. But then the execution on the back of that—it's one thing to sit there and talk about the toss, but the execution on the back of that with the field and in, in with the ball was outstanding. So how overwhelming did you think the case to bowl first was with with all the information that you had? Oh, it was compelling. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it was compelling, and 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 probably that final piece where we went down to the ground and. It was it was quite dewy, um, so I think bowling during the daytime allowed our our bowling unit to to function. I think a lot of the time we look at the batting unit and what the batting should do. Um, so maybe this is the lens of a bowling captain as well. How are we going to set our bowling unit up to succeed? Um, so yeah, it was it was compelling, and I think in all of it, you're not beholden to what happens in the past. Um, and runs on the board in the final, yeah, that's nice. But runs on the board in a final against India on a surface that's not allowing your bowling attack to do what it needs to do, um, potentially isn't the way to go. And I thought Paddy did an outstanding job, not only to, to luckily call right and win the toss, uh, but then to go out and execute with some of the fields that he had, the ability to 
you know, rotate the bowlers and, and really just put chaos in front of um, Virat and, and Kale Rahul and, and they sat in long enough to, for us to control the game. The second part to it is, is when does Simon and Garfunkel come into it? When does the sound <laughs> of silence get played? <laughs> too many people have been telling too many stories, haven't they? Um, <laughs> no, that got played at the team meeting. So a couple of days out, we just felt like um, as a coaching unit, a, a, along with Paddy um, and Mitch, that silence was going to be our friend um, because it was it was going to be intimidating. 100,000 people supporting one team and... And the way they support us was quite fanatical. So we felt like the feedback for us is when we're going well is that the crowd will be silent. Um, and I think Steve Smith elaborates elaborate on that around the Coley dismissal. But, yeah, we, we threw that into the team meeting and our, our man Andre Borovic was able to piece some some moments of the demise of Indian batters and the crowd being silent and we played it at Simon and Garfunkel. I'm not sure how many people knew who Simon and Garfunkel were in our team meeting because it's probably a couple of generations <laughs> removed. So <laughs> I'm sure they would have asked the other boys some questions afterwards. Is there uh, – so these um, these stories sort of get lionised as years go on in football. Um, France, I don't know whether they've been part of cricket terribly often, but, but it feels like there's a set of circumstances here. Does, it, does your coaching group take pride – in, in what you're able to give to the players and then they go out and execute it? Yeah, I think the way that we run it um, is as a collective. So the players are equally as a part of the build um, as the coaching unit. Our job is to give them options and then to hand over to Paddy. And, and once we hand over to Paddy, there's no doubt that we can help during the game and reinforce what we'd set out to plan. But yeah, I, I'm really proud of the backroom team. Um, they work, work endless hours for the players to, to give them the opportunity to go out there and yeah, you know, hope hopefully you win a World Cup, and that's what's come um, to be. And yeah, incredibly, you know, I think that when they sat back and had their moment of reflection, and we sat in a corner as the boys are celebrating, you you sort of you have an immense you know, feeling of pride for the group. And yeah, it's it's a moment where you go, you know, we've in some ways contributed to that to give them that, that opportunity, and they've gone and taken that opportunity. It's one thing to get the opportunity; the other thing is to take it. And I suppose that. Any team that walks out in the field is a reflection of its support staff and the ability to remain calm and connected and consistent throughout was a feature not only of Paddy's captaincy, but I also think that the back room, you know, all the way to the doctor, to the physio, we had some injuries and some big decisions that were put on their table as well. Andrew McDonald is in the studio, our cricketers, homegrown heroes for Red Energy, telling the stories behind the scenes of the World Cup, and then we'll throw forward from there. Red Energy owned by Snowy Hydro, a renewable energy leader. Andrew McDonald is in the studio, the Australian cricket coach. You'll have your thoughts. 0433981116, 40 winks, temper text, temper a mattress like no other. How big a triumph for Pat Cummins and his captaincy was this, given that he hadn't captained, he, we know he hadn't captained a lot of test cricket, but he captained even less 50 over cricket. Yeah, oh, it's, it's an incredible achievement. I think there was two games leading into the series against India. He captained another two there. So I think it was four matches in total leading in. Um, but I, I think sometimes you've you got to look at what you define captaincy as as well. Um, yeah, there is a tactical element, but the ability to bring a group together, um, to remain calm and consistent throughout a tournament, um, his communication um, around sort of key challenges of the group. And, and it was him that come up with a the theme at the start of the tournament. I think we were in Hyderabad, if not us, then than who. Um, and that was the theme that he built and he presented beautifully in that meeting. And yeah, so I think there's a lot of layers to captaincy that are, are misunderstood. And yeah, there's no doubt he didn't have the time on task that you would like, um, but 
such as the way of international cricket with the amount of games that are played that Pat can't play every game. But as I said earlier in the, in the piece, he, he come across to South Africa early. Um, he wasn't going to play any of those games, but to get on the ground, get a sense of where the team was at, uh, work with the coaches. And I think potentially you may have even seen more by sitting off the field as to, to how he wanted to, to operate um, and probably giving him a little bit more clarity leading into the World Cup. The capacity to make the right move at the right time. So this is the fusion of everything that goes on behind the scenes and then his action on the ground. So I think the signature moment is head in the semi-final, going to head with the ball in the semi-final and the back-to-back wickets, which um, which really vaults Australia's campaign. Yeah, pulling the right lever at the right time. And I suppose everyone will critique it in hindsight. And yep, that's the right move at the right time. And um, some say he should have bowled potentially earlier. Some say, well, what's he doing bowling at all? Um, but to, to read the game um, and and to see it that way, I think as you go along in your captaincy journey, there's no doubt you're going to make mistakes. But the amount that you get right at the key times, I think, is where you're judged. And, um, yeah, you could probably look back on the semifinal and the final. And the final is almost perfection as a captain. And, and the semifinal wasn't far off, um, albeit different scenarios and different situations. But, uh yeah, I think his read on the game was was always there. And just because he didn't have the time um, on task in terms of the amount of games he did, didn't mean that it was set up for failure. Um, as I said, there's so many other dimensions and facets to leadership than, than just the tactical element. And in saying that, I think the tactical element shone through in the final. Is he breaking the prejudice against fast bowling captains? I hope so. It gives you more people to choose from, doesn't it? So I think when you've got 11 to choose from as opposed to you know your top six batters only. Um, look, I, I think he's the right fit for this group at, at this point in time and who's to say what the, the next, next captain looks like. But I think this has definitely started the conversation around um, you know the openness to, to be able to choose from, from anyone within your 11. So I think you've got greater scope. And and also the, the people around him, um, you know, the other leaders within the group and the people that help him make decisions down the field also deserve deserve some praise in that you you've always got a thought or um you know a potential strategic move that you want to make on the field there's always someone that you bounce it off and you know Mitch Marsh and and, and those around him have no doubt helped him um give him clarity in his thinking what's the beauty of the bowling captain can you see it from time to time where a batting captain would naturally do one thing but he does the opposite uh, well, it's, hard. I mean, it's it's more on the individual, I think, rather than you know, just saying this is what bowlers do and this is what batters do. Um, there's no doubt that, that batters see the game differently um, to bowling group, but if you combine the two areas and you're able to collaborate, then I think you get the perfect outcome. And we've probably seen that over time, even in, in test match cricket with obviously Pat and, and Steve Smith working together. And in this sense, you've got Pat and... Um, Mitch Marsh, along with you know, Alex Carey, has been a part of that. Steve Smith's been a part of that as well, and Josh Hazelwood as well. So um, I, I think that the tactical side of things, the bowlers put a lot of time in behind the scenes with Dan Vittori and, and other coaches, and, and there's probably somewhat of a greater connection to that because they know exactly what they're going to do and what fields they want to implement, um, whereas potentially a batting captain at times can shift the, the field on the bowler and make him a little bit grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess, uh, is it more likely that a bowling captain would make 22 changes within a, a bowling innings of 50 overs than a batting captain would? Uh, you probably have to talk to uh, Paddy's fellow fast bowlers. I'm, I'm not sure that they really like the one-over spells when they <laughs> when they do warm up. So there's a little bit of convincing uh, that went into that over time. But um, oh, there's no doubt ringing the changes in the finals um, through different looks at um, to, to Virat and Kale, and we were able to control and squeeze through that. But there's collective buying from everyone. So the 
whilst the plans are executed by the captain, there also needs to be the ability to grab the rest of the group and take them on that journey. And as I said, that's that's a part of leadership and, and Pat was able to do that with his fellow leaders. Do you think he will want to continue with a 50-over captaincy, given that it's four years till the next World Cup? I'd like to think he'd consider it. So um, there's also um, a Champions Trophy as well, uh, which is another major ICC event um, in the not-too-distant future as well. So that'll all be discussed and considered and um yeah, clearly it's a it's a huge workload to to do what he has to do, um, but also you know, as we spoke about, he only captain four games leading into this one. So um, if he does miss potentially some some one day cricket, we've got sort of some viable other options, and, and we've rotated our captains in one day cricket, which was probably controversial at the time, but we feel as though that was that was enabling us a to grow our leadership depth, but also b keep Paddy as as fresh as we possibly could for for when the moments account come. The other striking aspect of the semi-final and the final was the quality of Australia's fielding. And the case has been convincingly made that Australia won its World Cup through superior fielding. It was there in the the hunt and the circle and then everything that was done, outfield, catching, saving boundaries. What did what did a coach see in the fielding in the knockout phase of the tournament? Yeah, it was, it was a clear focus to us um, leading into the tournament. We, I think we're... The language that we use is that fielding defines tournaments, um, and that was the case. Um, our inability to take those opportunities early, I think we are catching at around 50% early on in the tournament. That increased the ground fielding. Um, but the second layer to all that, um, which you know, we, we had greater conversations about, is the ability for the bowler to get the ball in the hand and execute straight away. Um, if they can execute straight away, then it allows the fielding group to do their job. And um, Against South Africa, there was a lot of half opportunities to knock the ball down, and, and that's Born about, I think, through the execution of line and length from the bowling unit. Um, if you slightly overpitch, it allows a batter to place the ball. You don't get the opportunity to make those plays. So we're able to make plays in the field, which we did do. But I think also that goes hand in hand with the, the, the bowler's ability to execute. And um, yeah, we're under the pump there. People were sort of questioning our power play bowling at certain times throughout the tournament and what what the bowling unit were able to do, backed up by that you know extra layer of defence from the fielding unit was was second to none. And yeah, went a long way to winning the tournament. We'll talk Travis Head on and off the field with Andrew McDonald <laughs> after Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. Andrew McDonald is in the studio. Travis Head's a bit of a character. He is. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's enhanced his reputation through his celebrations as much as he has through his batting. Yeah, I think his batting allowed the celebrations, so uh, they go hand in hand. Um, so centuries in World Test Championship final and a World Cup final. It'll stand, I suspect, for many years as a as a unique double. What does it tell us about the development of Travis Head? Oh, it tells us lots. Um, tells us, you know, his ability to deal with the moment, um, to deal with high stress points in a game of cricket. Um, the way he played in that that final, um, yes, there was some risk taken early, and we wanted to be that team that you know showed great intent and, and bravery at the start. But when the spin come on, his ability to play off the back foot. Um, and really low risk cricket to to Jadeja and um, Cool Deep was was incredible, um, and that partnership, um, yeah, I, I think this the maturity in which he played and the, and the different layers that he now has, and yeah, I, yeah, he's, he's an integral part of what we do both on and off the field um, in in what he creates in terms of the energy and and what he brings to a team. So yeah, I just think we've we've learnt. More and more, it's not surprising, but we've learnt more and more in those big moments. And, and that goes with the semi-final man of the match as well. There's yeah. not too many people that have done, done that double. So a stellar, a stellar year and may it long continue. Is it emblematic of an environment that allows 
each player not only to be who they are, and we've, we've read the stories on the weekend around, well, if I get my go again, I'm going to live or die my way, but also the contrast. So having Marnus and Head in that partnership in the world. So one is fastidious, obsessive hour upon hour. The other tunes up the way that he needs to. Is is it emblematic of an environment that allows each player to to prepare themselves in the manner that best suits them? Yeah, and I think that element of support as a cricketer to go, I know what I need to do to prepare, trust that. I think trust works both ways. And that's from the coaching staff, that's from the captain, um, all the way through to the players. So, um, yeah, if you saw his preparation leading into the New Zealand game, people would have been definitely scratching their heads. But, um, you know, once he said he was right to go, I think he had a 15-minute hit the day before, and that was his second hit, probably hit for about 45 minutes in total um, since he hit the ground in India. But we had great trust that if he nodded his head, um, and the medical team were happy the fact that the fracture wouldn't you know, be exposed to any risk because we needed him long-term in the tournament, that it was go time. And it certainly was go time. Uh, that, that innings at uh, Dalamashala, that was that was something else. And him and Davey Warner partnering up there and probably a moment where you go, okay, now we know what it looks like. And that top three that we wanted and then obviously Smith and, and Mahan on the back of that um, to, to be able to do what they do, complement it. And, that, and that's the thing about it all is as well, like the, we highlight the – the power play and the way the boys go about it, but the ability for the, the top seven to function in a certain way to allow them to get the job done, I think is equally critical. Um, you can't have one without the other. Is Head ready to play yet? Yeah, hopefully he's ready to play. I think he just had a, a, a bit of swelling in the hand <laughs> <laughs> that he was trying to ice for a period of time. But uh, he looks like he's going to return to action in the, in the T20 series in India. So I'm sure that all cricket fans out there will uh, love watching him on the screen again. And a salute to Adam Zampa, who equaled yeah. the record of uh, Murali for the, the most spin wickets at a World Cup. Yeah, I think flies under the radar um, a, a lot of the time. But his ability to impact through the middle overs, to hold that bowling attack together... Um, yeah, 23 wickets. I think he slowed up at the end almost. I think it was one wicket in the last two games um, to equal Murali, which is which is legendary in itself. But uh, what a World Cup for him, um, especially on the back of coming in. He had a, a small hiccup in the in the support period there where he was suffering a hip injury and then he had some back spasms and then some illness and it felt like every day he was fighting something else to get himself up and going. And then I think you know four wickets after four, I think three times in a row, the four-wicket hauls and into a threefer, and yeah, he really turned the fortunes around as well once he got going. As I said, critically important, and full credit to him. We're 16 days out from the first test. It's uh, Thursday in a couple of weeks' time in Perth, so we'll turn our mind there next. What happens for Australian cricket across the home summer when so much great cricket is being played in the Odyssey of 2023? Andrew McDonald in the studio. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now and Host Plus. What comes next for Australian cricket? Andrew McDonald's in the studio. Is it cruel and unusual to pay, play a T20 series straight off the back of a World Cup? <laughs> the answer is yes. How cruel and unusual is it? Oh, I think uh, England had to do a similar thing, didn't they, after the T20 World Cup where there was three, three one days where they had to stay out for. But um, look, it, the T20 World Cup's not far away, so any information that we can gather um, you know, in terms of the direction of that team is always a positive. But uh, yeah, the demands on the players are huge and um, there's a few players coming back, um, which was probably always going to be the case. So there's, been, there's going to be a bit of a changeover in that squad. Are you able to say at this stage who oh, that is? I'm not sure whether I can or okay. I'm allowed to. I, I haven't checked with Tony Dodder, mate. He's the selector on duty. So that'll all come out though. It might be a redundant question, but why does Steve Smith stay on? That, that yeah, was the one that struck me as odd. Yeah, he missed, um, if you think back to his wrist injury, we had him um, penciled in for the three T20s 
in South Africa. Um, and for him to be able to open the batting in that T20 side um, was something that we wanted to look at. He was um, really keen to do that as well. Uh, so it was always just going to be the first couple of games and then he'll come back home into a test preparation. And I think he's also playing for the Sixers in round one, which is fantastic for the BBL competition. So yeah, that was always designed that way. But yeah, we've got to be mindful of his overall workload as well. Final round of the Sheffield Shield before the break is starts today, all three, uh, all six states, three games. Um, how far advanced are you with the test squad for Pakistan? We'll be advanced later this week. Uh, so we're just giving ourselves a little bit of a time to, to breathe. And um, yeah, we'll be looking at this last sort of shield round um, with great interest. Not that we haven't been looking at the first five with interest as well. Uh, there's a PM's 11 um, game coming up also, but we'll be really clear before that PM's 11 game starts. So we'll, we'll see a squad before that game? Yeah, highly likely. So what are we to interpret? Is the PM's game a bat-off between Renshaw, Harris and Bancroft? I think it's another opportunity for, for them to you know, what potentially is a, is a slightly higher level than Shield cricket um, in, in terms of an Australia A or a Prime Minister's 11 game against a, a good opposition. Uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll see where they're at. And yeah, it won't be the be and an end all. We know that they're good players. They've played Test cricket before and yeah, all three are, are coming again. Is Dave Warner going to be opening the batting in the Pakistan series? That'll all be decided later this week. What goes into that decision? Uh, like any other decision, working out who the best player is for the, for that position at that point in time. And uh, I think with Test cricket, it's really clear you don't necessarily need to future-proof things too much. I think with a you know a cycle, uh, with a World Cup one-day cricket or T20, there, there's an element of, okay, what, what are we looking for to build to get to that grand final? Uh, whereas we see every test, test match is important um, in terms of yeah, the direction of, of Australian cricket. So there's seven tests between now and India next year, which looks like the feature series. Um, do these three tests play a role in progressing to them or in what you've just said, are these just sort of isolated series? I think they're isolated series for me. I think every test match you, you sit down as a selection panel and you, you work out your best team and and, and you go from there. So that's the bowling attack. That's the batting, the wicket-keeping. Every decision is in isolation for each test match. And I think that's the way test cricket should be. Pick your best team at that point in time. There's no doubt that you will have a younger player from time to time that people will think that needs to play or get exposure to play. Um, but I think a lot of that always takes care of itself. Would you like, would you be reluctant to have Cam Green sit on the shelf for too long in Test cricket, given the long-term investment that you've made in him? Yeah, I think that's a con definite conversation. Um, Mitch Marsh has taken his spot in that middle order. Uh, what does you know Cam Green's future look like in the Test team? Is it a matter of waiting for for Mitch um, to, to finish, or is it could there be another spot that opens up over time? And look, he's batted six most of his Test career, but he's been a fantastic number four for for WA, and I think averages close to fifty in in Shield cricket. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's always the the idea that you can potentially shift the order to make room um, and put your best six batters or what you see as your best six batters in a certain order. And we've seen that in Australian cricket before. We've seen, I think, David Boone went from three to opening. I think Justin Langer went from three to opening. Um, Shane Watson went from six to opening, if I'm, I'm right. So there has been um, the ability to reshuffle and, and for that to be successful. But as I said, we'll pick the best 11 for that first test match in Perth. Is just... Is Green in a tough spot at the moment? He's just outside each of the Australian teams um, as it's as it's fallen. I think he's in a better spot than the people that aren't there. So yep. I think he's in a, in a great spot. Um, 
you know, he's always on the on the selection table. He's always been discussed. Um, he's had an interesting twelve months, really. Um, the IPL into well, sorry, India into an IPL into an Ashes into a World Cup. Um, that's a hugely demanding year, and he's never done that before. So I think the lessons learned over the last twelve months hold him in great stead for for the future. And yeah, he's he's a generational type player. And yeah, as you said earlier, it, how long? can he stay out of the team for without sort of hindering a the team's um, progress and also individually cam's progress how much thought goes into the succession and, and maybe the progression of retirement so that everybody doesn't go at once in a team that that has a, a critical mass of players in their last three years say yeah there's an element of conversation but the the other thing too is that you, you never put a deadline on on players I think people have speculated around Usman Khawaja and David Warner and Steve Smith, and no doubt they'll be having the conversations with with their network, and and they're sort of having the conversation with us as well. Um, but I'm a big believer that you don't know when the end date is, and sometimes players, when they get to 36, 37, start to hit the peak of their powers, and we've seen with with other um, players in other nations as well. So to put an end date on a player, I think's a bit scary, um, and there's no doubt that when the end comes, I think the player knows when it's the end. And I think the the difficult one for us was Aaron Finch. Um, yeah, that's that's a seems like an eternity ago, but um yeah, he came to us in Cairns and said, I'm done. And I think the, the player along with the the staff to be able to navigate through that and most importantly the chairman of selectors is is a big player in that. Uh, to get that timing right, yeah, he's critical. But I don't think there's anything wrong with having two or three changes as long as those players have been exposed um, to a quality of shield cricket that that is there and also Australia are and they've been on tours and, and the team's not foreign to them. What are your hopes for the summer of cricket where we'll reconvene in Perth in a couple of weeks time? <laughs> oh, I mean, you always hope for a successful summer. Um, what does success look like? Um, yeah, I, I think this team you know, is growing towards the, the World Test Championship as well. We've got another two-year cycle of that, so that'll be front and, front and centre of our mind, which it was last cycle. Um, yeah, we just want to play some entertaining cricket and I suppose keep sharing those stories from from within the change rooms, and um, each individual has the ability to be able to tell their story. But but most importantly, our story as a team, and a chance for the public to celebrate maybe what's been achieved across twenty twenty three. Yeah, it, it would be nice. Um, not that the the calendar allows it uh, with, with any great sort of spaces, but yeah, we we're into red ball cricket, so a totally different group. Yeah, there'll be some carryover um, from that, but yeah, the Test team will come in, and they wouldn't have seen each other for a certain period of time. So there'll be a, a sense of energy when we catch up, and a sense of we've got a job to do here, and flick into that sort of mode of Test match cricket against Pakistan in Perth, who you know Pakistan are. A, a very good team in their own right, and no doubt they'll be coming down uh, on the back of their World Cup disappointment. You know, and I think they've had some coaching changes as well, so uh, they'll be structuring up slightly differently. But they're, a, yeah, they're they're an opponent. If they get it right, they're very dangerous. So much incredible cricket played across 2023 around the world by by teams under your watch, Andrew. Congratulations on all that's been achieved, and we look forward to seeing the team in action on our shores. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for your time, Andrew McDonald, the Australian cricket coach.